baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 408 Drive Time with Jerusha. So glad to have you hanging out with us on this rainy. Man, anybody else this morning? Wasn't it weird? Right around 6 o'clock this morning, I wake up and just the rain pounding against the house. You're like, what is going on? It's February 8th. I don't know. It's uh, strange. As much as I don't really care for the cold weather, mid-30s, I think it's going to restore a little bit of equilibrium to our lives. I'm ready. I'm ready for, like, sort of normal-ish February weather. Will I be complaining about the cold next week? Yes, 100%. 100%. Will you be enjoying the warmth of Fort Myers the week after? Also, yes. yes. Is that the week where there's potential snow? I think so. Oh, what a shame. That is a bummer, isn't it? What what, what was the snowstorm we missed last year when we were 20 inches. 20 inches. Yeah. yeah. Boy, I'm surprised my wife let me go back to Fort Myers <laughs> after that last year. It is uh, Thursday, and it's time, thanks to the Minnesota Pork Board, for Derusha Eats. Sometimes we like to bring other writers and other voices in the food community in. Sometimes we have chefs, we have farmers, we have bartenders. And today we have uh, Ali Alabadi, who also goes by Egypto Knuckles. Word. It's very sort of badass, you know? You know. Can I say that on the radio? Was that all right? You just did. Okay. I, I Sometimes I forget. I'm like, I don't know what the rules are. All good. Uh, Ali, it's so great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. What, I appreciate you. you. You've done so many different things in the food space. You've uh, been a freelance writer, a podcaster, a radio host, yeah, video producer. Yeah. What is it that got you into food? Um, to be honest, I've done music writing for the past like 20 years, to be honest with you. And like my food writing kind of came by fluke. Mm. So yeah. to speak, uh, in about 2019, I did like a live Twitter thread for some odd reason or another uh, when Trader Joe's released an Arab dessert to the masses <laughs> via their supermarket aisle. Yeah. And uh, Sarah Brumble, big shouts out to Sarah Brumble over at City Pages, um, noticed what I did and she was like, hey, how would you like to write about it? And that kind of st- sparked the uh, initial journey. Isn't that crazy? The power of social media to oh, have yeah. someone get discovered in that way. Yeah, it's a it's a wild discovery, but yeah. you know I'm happy for it. She saw the talent in me early on and kept encouraging me to write and like really express honest feelings regarding like food and the food scene in particular. So, how was that Trader Joe's uh, item they released? If you're in a pinch, it's great. But if you're trying to seek like mom's homemade like yeah. Arab desserts, like that you're gonna it. be missing the mark. Right. Right. Uh, Ali Alabadi is with us. We're talking food here in the Twin Cities scene. And just this morning when you and I were chatting about what we wanted to talk about today, there has been a lot of action, sort of new restaurants opening up. No question. And one of the restaurants that uh, you've been interested in, based on some of the writing you've done before, is uh, a restaurant called Dario. Yes. Which just opened in the North Loop. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Rachel McLeod of uh, Cornelius Pasta Company, who's been doing artisanal pasta for a while now, 
Um, I knew through I knew her through mutual friends of mine and stuff like that, and participated in the pasta drops during the pandemic and stuff like that. And she was making just like, and you say artisanal, yeah, like. It is artisanal. It's oh, yeah. an emphasis on the art. Like yeah. her pasta w- is gorgeous. And the fact that it's like it's treated with like a, if you remember the Common Roots Cafe over on uh, over on Lindale and stuff like that. The fact that all the ingredients come within like a 500 mile radius and stuff like that within the state as far as that's concerned is uncanny for a pasta maker. It's crazy. You know. And it's so delicious. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What when you look at the restaurant scene here in the Twin Cities? Yeah, if you had your way, are there are there types of food or types of restaurants that you think were missing? You know, I wouldn't say that it's missing, so to speak, but I'd say more so when it comes to the food scene in particular. There's a lot of focus on what's new, what's hot, what's trendy, and things yes. of that nature. And I'm a kid who, you know, I've grown up in Minnesota all my life. My parents immigrated here from Egypt in the mid-70s and stuff like that. So Where'd you grow up? I grew grew up in St. Paul, so United Hospital, Highland Park, shout out. Nice. You know what I'm saying? Nice. Um, So, like, you know, growing up in that area, it got me really familiarized with, like, the restaurants around the area and, like, being a city kid and knowing what was around my area. So, like, you know... Going to the U of M as a college kid and going to Caspian Bistro, which is like an Iranian oh, market and yes. restaurant. Very underrated. Like you don't hear much about that place. You know, you know, and like or on the West Bank with Dilla Ethiopian, you know, where else are you gonna find good Ethiopian food on the West Bank? You know what I'm saying? So Do you think things have gotten uh better as far as having like more of a re- representation of, of you know, you look at the population we have around here for yes. a long time, like it sort of felt like uh, you know, those restaurants, I, I always struggle with this. Restaurants that get treat, kind of put in this bucket of like, well, that's ethnic food. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, the talent and the dedication and the heart yeah. is at the same level or greater than any of the acclaimed type restaurants. You know, it's interesting not only like how it's looked at as ethnic food, but then like as like certain crazes start to come along, tend to get reappropriated back into the healthy vegan hmm. given like a certain buzzword you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah. as far as that's concerned with all the labels that we're we're facing around with like gluten-free yeah. vegan you know what i'm saying like that type of that type of stuff as far as that's concerned and like it's interesting to see the come around on that as far as that's concerned uh ali alabadi is with us uh content creator music critic food writer uh overrated overrated do you have do you have certain places where you're like i don't get the hype you know i wouldn't say like places that don't deserve certain hype because i i I do certain things around that as far as that's concerned and like enjoy what they do but like the places where it's like you gotta like in its initial opening like wait two weeks to get a reservation things of that nature it's not for me I kind of like to. I don't see, like to wait either. I, I'm kind of like the person that wants to see consistency over yeah. the newness. It's you know harder out there, isn't it, to be consistent because staffing is so difficult. Mm-hmm. I think I worry about that when I give a recommendation. Right? Oh, yeah. Like four years ago, I was confident if I told you to go to a place, it was going to be good. Today, mm-hmm. I am nervous because yeah. you feel like it was great 
when it opened or it was great when I went there, like I tried to go two weeks or three weeks after it's opened. Yeah. But then you don't know. You just don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like at the same time, when you're looking for that consistency, that's where you got to see diversity in the food market and restaurant market in particular. Like, you know, someone brought up a really great point on Twitter about like the fact that the suburbs have such untapped potential for like regular restaurants that have been consistent since mm. the day they've opened and haven't really changed as far as their audience is concerned. They may get somewhat of a steady lunch crowd, but for the most part, it's kind of like bupkis when it comes to like the more popular and trendy restaurants yeah. that are kind of like popping up on the scene and the hot new thing with the new chef and doing it a totally different take and things of that nature. You know, I find more consistency in Mims Cafe over on Como more than I do. And not, and this is not a knock to them because yeah, I started right. writing about them at the beginning, like Baba's over on Lindale, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Baba's has been at it and doing their thing and stuff like that. And they're kind of kids that came out of, that came suburb, a, yeah, they kind of came out of that suburban restaurant scene where their father opened up Mediterranean Cruise. They got used to working in the doldrums, working in that kitchen, and knowing all the ins and outs and what staffing looks like and things of that nature to help like really create a modernized product that kind of like carries their father's tradition with them in honor, as opposed to like kind of like being like, okay, this is the new way we're going to spin it. You know what I'm saying? It's really interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of time, one of the things we try to do with this segment is bring people on who are not like, who just are interesting people. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily uh, the new, the hot thing. Yeah. Because I worry like there are people listening right now who are in Mankato yeah. or New Prague yeah. who might drive in to go to a place that's like, well, I don't want to send you. You know, a lot of people don't go out as much as you go out or as I go out. Yeah. And so those, those, your money's precious. Absolutely. And I think like in addition to that, your time is precious mm. and the quality of the food that you get as well as the people that you're surrounded with all play an important factor into how that time and how that dinner yeah. is spent together. You know what I'm saying? I think like, you know, you can look at the food as like a component, but it's just one component. Like the table you're surrounded with, the company that you're surrounded with, the laughs that are exchanged, like the conversations yeah. that are had. That's what's important. Uh. It's so true. It's so underrated, that part. Yeah. And sometimes you can have a great experience at a restaurant, and you have to step back and think about it. It's like, was it because, like, the people I was with were so awesome? Yeah. Like, sometimes, yes. Sometimes yeah. that's it. Ali Alabadi is with us. You can follow him on Twitter or X at Egypto Knuckles. Yes, indeed. Which I'll have you explain what that means when we come back. One texture is mad that I asked you to say an overrated restaurant. <laughs> Sort of, it is sort of a mean question. It's okay. Put you on the spot. You you could you could have uh, turned it around on me. That could, would have been the move. I could have, but like at the same time, you know what? I mean, like I don't. I think in the economy that we're in, as well as post pandemic landscape, to sit here and like badmouth a restaurant, it's not worth yeah, it. Yeah, I like that. You're a nice person. I try. I could learn a few lessons from this. Four nineteen. <laughs> back in just a minute with more Duresha Eats here on CCO. Uh, your text always welcome at 651-461-9226. If you have any questions for our guest, Ali Alabadi, who joins us. Uh, it is funny that, like, we haven't, like, 
This is the first time we've actually had a conversation. I'm sure we've yes. been in the same room before, right? Yep. Probably. Absolutely. Yeah, we met each other, if I remember correctly, we met each other at the Northrop King Building about pre-COVID times during Art World. You exchanged oh, a shake of the hand with me. Oh, yes. And so, oh, like, uh, it, was, it was really cool to see you in person then. Have you noticed a big change in kind of what it's like to go to restaurants as we've come out of COVID? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. What? How so? What I've noticed more so is just like the more so the emphasis on like the uh, kind of like reservation restrictions mm. that are kind of like wh- whether you're going through Resi or one of these apps. Yeah. As far as that's concerned is like very much a little bit more rigid. Yes. So I was talking to a, a guy who works at a very popular restaurant right now. Mm-hmm. And he said one of his challenges is that in Minnesota, there's so, no sort of shared language. Uh, to invite people to get the heck out of their table and leave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That it's very difficult to know, like, all right, at what point, like how long, if you make a reservation at a restaurant Mm -hmm. on a Friday or Saturday, like on a Tuesday, you should be able to sit there as long as you want. Yeah. If you go on a Friday or Saturday, how long do you think until they, they, uh, you wouldn't be mad if they tell you, hey, Got if another reservation. You if, you're, go. if you're bringing like six people as like a married couple's adventure type thing, you're going to be shutting down the restaurant straight up and yeah, down. Yeah, you probably are, right? Yeah. Whereas if you're a bunch of single adults, you're going to come in, do the Chris Rock thing where you eat for an hour and a half and leave because you've got things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's tricky. Like I, I personally, I would not be offended if after like 90 minutes seems pretty short to me. Yeah. Two hours? At two hours, if you asked me to leave, I'd be like, totally get it. Yeah. That would be fine by me. Yeah. Yeah. I, think- I would say, like, there's so many dynamics that play into that. Like, what's the staffing level look like? What, Like, mm. you know, if you're going to eat for two hours at a place like Natter Persian Restaurant over on the West Bank, kind of next door to the Wienery. Yeah. There are a husband and wife that runs the show, and there's only five tables. So, like, your hour and a half and t- or two Maybe a little bit longer than usual as that's far fair, as that's yeah. concerned. You better be ordering a lot of stuff if oh, you're yeah. going to take up that table that without, long. Without question. Yeah. It is It is difficult. Like I find myself, and I think it's good, You, I find myself as a guest like trying to be more thoughtful mm-hmm. uh, because there has been a shift from the idea that the guest is always right. And I also think Which like, is good because sometimes the guest is just being a jerk. That that's the other part of it that plays into the dynamic for me. Like if you're if you're coming to a restaurant and you're eating for two hours, I'm always with the Bourdain method. I'm treating the wait staff really special, very nice because like yes. you know, you catch more catch more bees with honey <laughs> than you do with like, you know, stinging as far as that's concerned. So like for me, I'm being extra courteous to the wait staff to make sure that I'm expressing stuff clearly and stuff like that. Whereas there are some that will come in two hours, leave no tip, like sit and be rude to the wait staff, yeah. you know, try to give all these special restrictions and stuff like that. You know, you see a meal ticket like as like a busboy or a bar back and you're just like, what the heck is this table doing? You know? Yeah, yeah so. exactly. All right. It's time to pick a question. All right. Give me a number between one and 38. Ooh. Um, you know, let's go with uh, 25. 25. Why what not? is the food you crave most often? The food I crave most often. You know, a really good sandwich is, yeah. is like my go-to. I feel like we're in like a little bit of a sandwich renaissance right now. You know, I was seeing it a lot when I was in New Orleans just this past November. Like mm-hmm. I went to a spot called Francolini's over in New Orleans. It's like a Jersey-style deli spot oh, as far as that's concerned. Cool. 
And the sandwiches they have there are like they had a sandwich with chicken cutlets and broccoli rabe and a hot pepper sauce. Oh, my God. What's your favorite sandwich in town? My favorite sandwich in town? Oof. Oh, God, there's so many. But, um, you know, a Cafferty's Chicken Philly is, oh. is like what hits home for me. <laughs> Straight up. Kind of college memories for oh, you there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like, it was, like, really interesting to take friends to Cafferty's, like, on the late night as far yeah. as that's concerned and oh, stuff yeah. like that. So Mario's in St. Paul, I think, might be my number one right now. I got to hit that up. It's really good. Although South Lindale Liquors, oh. that's another sneaky uh, sandwich counter. Ooh. Really, really good. Yeah. All right, pick another number. You get one more, one more from the random question generator. You know, uh, let's go with 15. Why Number not? 15. Best thing you ate this week. The best thing I ate this week. It's uh, Thursday. You have a lot of lot to choose from, I hope. Absolutely. Um, you know, whenever my parents decide to make stuffed grape leaves and cabbage rolls, oh. that's that speaks to my heart. So, oh. like, that, that was literally the best thing I had on Sunday. My mom, I helped her get, you know, small zucchinis and cabbage rolls and the whole nine. Mm. We sat as a family and rolled those things up, and like they were cigars from Cuba, put them in the oven to kind of like let, let them stew and rest for a bit, and then enjoyed them. Is there a restaurant uh, that comes closest to like your your mom's cooking? Ooh, um, the closest one to me is Mim's Cafe, without question. Mim's Cafe. Mim's yeah. Cafe is like close to like my heart as far as that's concerned, just because like. I spend so like they know me by name, like they know my family, like everything my oh, family's been that. up to, and yeah. like in addition to that, their food is just downright delicious. Like I can leave there with a mixed grill special any time of the week, and I will not be the least bit disappointed. It's like counter service, really modest, wonderful food. Absolutely, and it's family run. So yeah, I can't deny that. It's St. Paul, right on Cleveland. Yes, uh, indeed. If people are curious, give me a, uh, two more of your favorite restaurants in town before two. we go. Two more of my favorites. Um, I got to say two more of my favorites. Um, Caspian Bistro, obviously, over on University. Like uh, the Bastani for dessert is you got to make sure to order the Bastani for dessert when you're there as far as that's concerned. It's their Persian ice cream donut yes. with saffron and pistachios. Caspian is awesome. Right by the University of Minnesota. Yes, across indeed. from the tea house. It's amazing. It's incredible. So and then, good. And then lastly, if I, if I got to pick like, you know – Given the renaissance of breakfast options that are kind of rising in the Twin Cities, I gotta I gotta say Al's is still hitting home with oh, me. Oh, I like that. Al's Al's it's so good. Al's for the Jose with the hash browns and the yes. homemade salsa and the cheddar with the two poached eggs. The Jose is the correct answer. I'm the happiest camper in the world. So good, Ali. You were terrific. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I Fo- appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter. Oh, I I said I was going to ask you what Egypto Knuckles was. Ah, okay. I'll I'll give the quick rundown. Egypto, Egypt for short, my parents' country of origin, which is where I humbly come from. Knuckles is actually in tribute to Frankie Knuckles, the club DJ who I used to see on all the CD Maxi single remixes for Tony Braxton, Mariah Carey, and stuff like that. So I took the Knuckles as a surname when I started to DJ. And like one of the things I used to do when I stunt DJed was like I'd put my knuckle on a record and kind of rotate it like a quarter turn to make it seem like I was scratching the record really ah. fast. There, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. Ali, thank you. Thank this you. This was really me. fun. Very Appreciate good. Appreciate it. Uh, 431. That's DeRussia Eats in just a minute. The head of the downtown council, Adam Dunnick, will come in probably to call all you guys who are working from home a bunch of losers.
That's, I'm pretty sure. Is that what he's doing? We'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess that's not the tag that Adam's taking. It might be the tag I'm taking, though. We'll be right back. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Adam Donick is here from the downtown Minneapolis Council. Adam, you'll laugh at this before I get into loser talk uh, because I uh, – got to lift that microphone up. Adam, how tall are you? I'm about 6'2". Six 6'2". Two. Six two. You're pretty tall. Pretty tall. Uh, oh, see, now that microphone won't – yesterday I was having the opposite problem with this microphone. It kept uh, bouncing upwards, and yours is – there you go. It's fine. We're doing great here today. You'll laugh at this. I get an email offering me, like, hey, Jason, would you like to have Carol King on the show? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Carol King? Like, that's a pretty big name. I'd love to have Carol King on the show. So I said yes. And then it was set up, and it turned out it was the actress who was playing Carol King in a show. So then I had to email back and say, Never mind. Like, right. I don't want the. <laughs> this is what I'm doing. This is this is what life is like when you work downtown at an office. It's just mishap after mishap. You had yesterday your big uh, sort of state of downtown meeting. Mm-hmm. And there, the headline, did you want the headline to be Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry says that you people uh, working from home are losers? If I could wave my magic wand, I don't think that that would have been the headline. But the good news is we've never had so many people talking about the state of downtown. So I'm trying to put. Did a you set it up? Did you? Was this a, a marketing ploy to get people talking about downtown? Again? <laughs> if, if it was, I wasn't made aware of the the ploy or the plan. <laughs> I, th- I think the mayor was clearly joking, and I think he, as kind of the top bully pulpit occupier for the city Mm -hmm. is trying to beat the drum and say like, please come back downtown. Very much so. He he was kidding in the one hand. People laughed in the room. I was there, but he's been one of the loudest outspoken people about getting people downtown. He wants more workers back here. He wants more employees back here. He wants more businesses open. Um, I was with the, with BOMA this morning, speaking to their group, uh, just kind of giving an overview of the the building owners and managers. Yeah. Thanks for uh, clarifying the acronym, but they were very excited about the mayor's comments. So there are some people down well, here. Well, they think that people working from home are losers. They would like to see more people down here. I'm not going <laughs> to quite take the bait. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, no, no one is a loser mm-hmm. for making a choice that's best for your family. And we have to acknowledge that as people are making these choices and they're looking at the financial savings that they're achieving by working from home, the perception of having more time for family and friends or more flexibility that people who are working from home entirely, which I would categorize as different from the hybrid folks who are Mm -hmm. coming in one day or two days a week uh, for the people, which your data showed it's about 35% of our former downtown population is gone. Mm -hmm. 
So for them, like, they're going to need something other than being called a loser to get them to come back downtown, right? Right. What they've essentially done is created their different community. They work, They get their coffee where they live. They go do their dry cleaning, get their hair cut, do all these sorts of things they used to possibly do downtown. They do that in their own community. Would we like them back down here? Absolutely. But I think the thing that I try to you know, impress upon people is what are the incentives we provide for workers to come down here in the first place? How, how are we enticing? One of it, those things is networking, mentoring, the sort of career development that you'd want to do as a young employee. You ask yourself, hey, I'm new at this law firm or I'm new at this uh, engineering and design firm. How do I learn from people who have been around a long time? That's harder to do virtually. It's hard to build those relationships. Yeah. And building that sort of team camaraderie is a challenge, but how can we incentivize that and get more people down here? Do you think, and we're talking with Adam Dunnock, who's the uh, president of the downtown council, is, is, this, is that sort of soft stuff enough? Or do we need to, well, to me, you have two choices. One, you got to pay people more mm-hmm. to have them come to the office, or you got to give them free parking, free parking, or you have to subsidize daycare, Dis- discounted parking, discounted, yeah. discounted. Now, the city has done some things. Like I, I have this fifty-nine dollar parking card mm-hmm. that I can use for fourteen days. That's pretty good mm-hmm. on a per day parking. Mm-hmm. And then I have another card that's. I think the price is going up to eight bucks uh, a day, which is still a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. And so I use that for the, you know, the other six days I'm in the office downtown. So it works out pretty well. There are bargains out there, but it's still people say, like, I'm not going to pay 200 bucks. Yeah, and you think, you think about the cost of a meal downtown and parking and all it's that. It's all that, more. That, that adds up. It's absolutely. real stuff for it, people. I, th- I think one thing, there's other cities and, and communities looking at incentivizing the business, saying we'll give you – uh, we'll give you an, a TIF extension, a tax increment finance extension, or we'll help provide some business subsidies if your workers come downtown a certain amount of days, if your employees oh, are here. Interesting. So there's been some of that. I met with a developer today. He said that's, what, that's what's helped Milwaukee come back. Down, their downtown is a little bit busier. They have a number of employers who require three days a week for their employees. You know, can we think about some of those bigger picture ideas? I think it's a mix of the individual employee, employers and the individual sectors kind of figuring out what works best for them. And what, could, what are some other big-picture policy items we could do, too? Adam Dunnick is here from the Downtown Minneapolis Council. Um, one of the things I think about uh, is whether we just look at our population downtown of workers and sort of say, like, all right, this is maybe where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll ebb and flow, and but this is maybe reality. Um. Yesterday, you guys announced that Hennepin Healthcare is the new number one employer downtown. Target is number two. Um, but Target's numbers are also sort of inflated based on the number of people who actually come down to the office for them. Um, is, that, is that significant? Does that change downtown? It certainly shifts the locus of where the people are because Hennepin Healthcare is not in what we would – it's what five or six blocks off of Nicola, which is what we traditionally think of as the the heartbeat. Right. It's it's in a different place for sure. And I think the, the positive news about our top employers is that ten out of the fifteen top employers added employees. So that's a good that's a good indication. Uh, Target didn't add any; they stayed the same. But Hennepin Healthcare added. I it's think, growing. Yeah. Yeah. Their their employer employee base is growing, which is good news. And they have to be here. It, absolutely, they have to be in person. They're working in that right. in that uh, sector. I think. You know, it's more what do we think about the central business district, what that's going to look like long term. 
Um, it's just going to be slightly different. I think what you're raising is what our 2035 plan, our long-range vision, is trying to understand in the balance of live, work, and play. Which of those three categories are people spending more time? And increasingly, this happened pre-pandemic, but yeah. it's been accelerated. Increasingly, people are coming down here to live and to go out. And so, how do we have a downtown that caters to those audiences? We need to do. We need to do all three things. It's not that we do not pay attention to the people that come down to work. It's but, just going to take a little longer, right? right? Do you think it's productive to be talking so much about work from home? Because to my interpretation is that it seems like people are they get really upset mm-hmm. when when you sort of threaten that they're going to have to come back to work. I don't because you're working on so many other things. Exactly. Right? As as long as there's a worker shortage, I don't think it's that helpful to talk about it. I really don't. I think that and that and the discourse on this over the last year or two has kind of shifted. At first, there were a lot of employers who talked to themselves about what should we mandate, what can we do. And now that's shifted into we have to have flexibility because people have choices. If their employer says you have to be down here five days a week, then all of a sudden some people might say, well, I'm going to go work somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've shifted my thinking on this mm-hmm. where I really, you know, frankly, until like Hennepin County makes people come down, mm-hmm. I think pretty much everyone else can just shut up because mm-hmm. if the county isn't going to make people come down, mm-hmm. certainly a private business should do whatever the heck they want. Um, and – you know, we, it is what it is. Like, let's let's talk more about what downtown is going to look like as a neighborhood and how are we going to fashion transit in our community mm-hmm. if people aren't all coming to the central hub? That's true. Like, these are tough challenges, but also exciting. Yeah, that's where there's opportunity. I think we do need to start to rethink some of those things. The downstream impact of the lack of tax revenue, we saw the article in the newspaper recently about that. There's been a fair amount of discussion about that. Without people down here, if there's depleted values and people are contested the, the taxes that they're supposed to pay for property taxes, that's going to have a big impact on Hennepin County, no doubt. the city, the school district, so yeah. forth. You go on. And so what's that going to mean for our properties, for residents? It's going to drive up the taxes for property owners, for non-commercial industrial properties. Right. And so what's the impact of that public policy-wise? These, these local units of government have to understand that and I think grapple with some really difficult decisions. You uh, referenced the transit system. That was designed to bring people downtown. It was also designed for a nine-to-five schedule. Right. How different is that going to be? You need to think about flexibility in some of these systems, I think, longer term. Yeah. Yeah, it's stuff that people have been talking about, but there was no real urgency to it. And now we see. It's like, oh, yeah, like everyone's uh, assuming that the city of Minneapolis and the schools and the county are not going to cut their spending. Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be a big hole. Uh, it's just the reality. The the loss in value and tax revenue from a couple downtown businesses is equal to the total collections from like one of our wards in Minneapolis. Like, so it is right. a big deal. It's not just about protecting the fat cat, you know, investors from wherever who own the buildings. Mm-hmm. It's figuring out like, all right, well, how do we make this new future work? And the other thing it opens up an opportunity for is if there's discounted space, if there's space available at a decent price, can some entrepreneurs take those spaces? Can mm-hmm. we can we foster small business growth? Can we rethink the the uh, use for Skyways, for example? Can yeah. we have Nicollet Mall serve a different retail purpose? What does retail look like? It maybe isn't just a shop where you go in and, and buy your clothes or your the things you need. It could also be experience-based uh, that that sort of activity 
versus you know going going downtown to go to the puttery, for example. Things yeah. like that are doing really well. The experience based retail retail isn't really just brick and mortar. Yeah. Go to Dayton's, go to Target. Do we need zoning changes? Are there law, uh, you know, things at the city level that need to be changed to make things a little easier for businesses to try to flex some of these spaces into something different? I think it's always important to look at those things. I don't think that they're inhibiting at this point, but I do think we should ask ourselves what kind of incentives we provide or what kind of programs. We have one called the Chameleon Shops where our retail owners have an ability to pay their their rents based on their their percentage of sales. So if they have a tough couple of months, they can still do really well. And that's done a great job in fostering some small businesses to to grow into something larger and explore their opportunities. Since you took this job, I've noticed how much you post uh, pictures of places downtown that you're visiting and which I really enjoy, like you're walking, walking the walk Mm -hmm. as well. What's the most fun uh, thing you've done downtown lately? Uh, lately, I'd have to say the, hitting up the ice bar, which uh, was there for the Great yeah. Northern Festival. A lot of fun. Had a great time. I saw the mayor there. I saw R.T. Ryback and a few other friends and some folks from our team. And then getting to that see— That was fun. That was, a, that was a great time. That was really good. It was fun to see so many people down on Nicollet Mall. It was a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then seeing a few Timberwolves games, too. They're exciting. They're playing well. It's a great environment. The— the team is doing great, and it's it's just fun to come down and, and have, a, have a good time at Target Center. Good. Good stuff. Adam, appreciate you. Thanks for coming in. Always happy to talk. Thanks for having me. Adam Dunnick from the Downtown Council, who did not take any of my bait on the loser question. You got, I mean, that's a professional. A lesser man for sure would have fallen in one of the traps I tried to set. 449, back in a minute on CCO. Today's National Go Fly a Kite Day, Dan. You told me this this morning. I did. And I, I was a little incredulous. I mean, national days are, uh, well, they're, they're dumb, right? Yeah, they they're, they're very dumb. Yeah. Who authorized National Fly-A-Kite Day on February 8th? It's just ridiculous. It is absurd. Most of the country, you are not flying a kite. Exactly. On this date. And it's not like, you know, they ran out of days because there's like three days for every. Or three kite national- related? No, but I'm saying oh, there's, today, there's there like three different things. things that, you know, called February 8th their national day. Kites just happen to be one of them. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Uh, you can tell someone to go fly a kite, though, if you wish. You can be insulting. Does anybody do that anymore? Is that like a... No, I usually go, go, pound, I go pound sand. Pound sand is a good one, yeah. But that that's also weird. Go fly a kite? I don't know. I'll test it out tonight. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.